Welcome to the Appalachian Baptist Network. We seek to equip, encourage, and engage pastors and church leaders in the Appalachian region. We focus on having conversations on church revitalization in the mountains and beyond. Your hosts are Matthew Jacobs, Brent Snyder, Jacob Gwynn, and Travis Tyler. Welcome back to the Appalachian Baptist Network. You're listening to part two of Critical Race Theory and the Southern Baptist Convention. Please go back to the episode on June 10th to hear this conversation in its entirety. Enjoy part two of Critical Race Theory and the Southern Baptist Convention. Yeah, I couldn't even sit there and look at um, a demographic study to even explain the, the diversity in the area that I'm at. I mean, we have got so many grocery stores, depending on what ethnic background you're from, that you can pick from. I mean, if you want Asian, there's Asian grocery stores, there's Hispanic grocery stores, there's like, there's diversity in neighborhoods and, and just completely different contexts than what we're used to. So I can understand the that there's a push to be multi-ethnic. But if you're not in an area where there's other ethnicities, like, it's not relevant to you. I mean, if you're in in Appalachia, you're looking at Avery County. I mean, you're not going to sit there and be like, okay, guys, like we've got to really work hard on being multicultural because there's not another culture. Like, so it doesn't make sense. Um, I, I think when looking at the broader spectrum of the convention, there is a push for churches to try to look more like the kingdom. And I, I think personally, part of the rub with that is, is, the areas where where that is possible, most Southern Baptists are not. I mean, I, I, so I think there's almost like a push when you're in rural when you're in rural America, you don't understand what city America's doing. Like there's there's not a there's there, there, there's a difference there. I mean, there there's just a it just does different things, and so I think. You know, we look at that politically. I mean, people don't understand that there's a there's a difference between rural and, and non-rural. I mean, when, when you're when you're looking at that, and so I, I think w- with looking at critical rights theory and looking at the SBC, it's conversations that are had in your big cities. And rural America sees it. Uh, I think is um, we've talked about. They see it as kind of like fighting words. We, it's been weaponized. And so we go after it where in retrospect, it, it's not relevant for where you're living. Like it's not really something you're dealing with. So I don't know if any of that makes sense at all. Yeah, we, we were a part of conversation in the, the free church. Um, this, this is going back about six years on diversity within the churches and how to pursue that. And what was interesting in that conversation is, is we were doing a Q and a panel and, and a guy got up and said, you know, I'm, I'm in, I'm in rural Iowa. And we're, we're 97% white in our community. What does it look like for us to pursue diversity? The speaker who was an Asian American made the comment that diversity is more than just ethnic. And, and he said, in some sense, diversity for many of our rural communities is, is not going to be ethnic, but it's going to be socioeconomic. And, and he made this comment, which I thought was interesting. He said he found socioeconomic diversity to be even more challenging than ethnic diversity in the church. And, and so in some sense, we, we hopefully our, our communities do reflect the diversity. Our, our, our gospel communities reflect the diversity of the communities in which we are based. But but like you're saying, that's not necessarily going to be ethnic in a, a predominantly white or predominantly black community. Um, and yet it could still look 
it can still reflect the diversity of the communities that we live in, even if that diversity is not expressed ethnically. Yeah. And, and I think, and I agree with you, Neil, because I, I think about the, the church that I serve, you know, there, there is a, a diversity there because in one sense you have, you have those who are teachers and there are judges, there are doctors and they are serving right alongside of electricians and construction workers and, and everything else in between to, to stay at home moms and everything that there is a diversity socioeconomically, right? The, the question when we talk about this and how this is, is this affecting the church? Right. And I think that's, we're talking, we've kind of danced around it. Um, the idea of critical race theory and kind of critical theory in general is, is this actually something that is infiltrating the church or infiltrating the convention. And so that, that's the question on the table. Is it something that we think is happening realistically in our churches or in our conventions or seminaries? No, no, I, I really don't. I, I think what it is, is, we'll be blunt. I mean, it's whatever, but I think where the issue comes into play, there's, there's a history within Southern Baptist for the last 40 years We've got to fight about something. I mean, it's just the reality. I mean, I said this in my Baptist history class at Southeastern. I said part of the reason that Calvinism or whatever subject is a big issue is we got a bunch of war dogs that fought in the conservative resurgence that don't know how to enjoy a time of peace. There, there is, a, they, there is they, a shred of that. I mean, I, not they grew up fighting. You know, they don't know how to stop. You got General Patton in World War II was an amazing general who won the war. I don't think he's the guy you won't run in peacetime though. No, he was built for war. You know what I yeah. mean? And uh, some, some of us were embattled and they needed to be embattled over the conservative resurgence back, you know, when we had to battle the issue of inerrancy and fallibility, which is really where the roosters came back to roost with Adrian Rogers and all those guys. But uh, it's almost like, I, I tell you, I went fishing one time with a moderate buddy of mine, moderate Baptist pastor. And he said, I was in the back of the boat and he was in the front and he threw his line out and said, you know what the problem with you conservatives is? And I said, no, what is it? He said, y'all can't get along with each other. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like when there's no more liberals to fight, then the guns on each other. Yeah. (laughs) We've got to find something to fight about because we don't know what to do. Well, it's in one sense, I agree with you because some of the framework going into this convention is that this is, conservative research or the conservative surgeons 2.0 yeah um and i i, I don't see that now um, the, i just the, i just don't i don't see that um that's what they're setting it up to be yeah i, I the, don't the, see this overwhelming tide of of language or policies or things like that that are showing this drift towards this it it's not. This is what it is in a, in a nutshell. And I think being away in an area where people are more interested in 2.0 is the fact of the matter is we don't know how to enjoy peace. So we're going to find things to fight about. Or if you look at the convention or what? Or success. You know, we yes, have won. We, we, we so. Don't, so when we're, when we're looking at this, okay, we're, we have seen a shift. And I think a rightful shift in a lot of ways over the last 10 to 15 years as a convention. 
there's been a slow step of process within that process of shifting ways that things used to be done are not done the same anymore. There's still a good old boy system that is still very upset with how things were handled in Dallas. Well, and I think, yeah, go ahead. And, and with that, what they're wanting to do is find things to fight about. They're wanting to find the next hobby horse. And if we can make this, the issue and say, this is what's going on in our seminaries, like liberalism and not believing the Bible is inerrancy and, and taking some of those same token phrases that were legitimate, like absolute legitimate in the eighties and nineties, but you're not going to Southeast. You're not going to Southwestern or Southwestern anyways, but you're not going to some of these other seminaries and saying they are teaching critical race theory because they're not. The issue is when you look from an academic standpoint, none of our seminaries sit there and teach that the Bible is not the word of God. None of them do that. What they're teaching is how do we look at the worldview that other people are holding to and how do we reach them with the gospel? So you have professors that are engaging critical race thought, not the practice. They're engaging with it and saying, how do we reach them the exact same way that we engage with what do Muslims believe? What do Hindus believe? What do Mormons believe? What do whatever belief system you want to go with? They're engaging with it from an academic and missional perspective to reach them. And 2.0 is trying to attack that to recharge an old wagon that a lot of people aren't interested in hitching themselves to anymore. Yeah. So I, I don't like, I get what you're saying. I don't see this being attached to as much theological issues, issues in seminaries as much as missiological. And so how, what is the implications of this, right? Understanding culture for the purpose of reaching culture for the gospel. And so I don't know if you guys remember, you know, we had the conservative resurgence in the eighties and the nineties. And then I believe it was probably 10, 15 years ago, we had the great commission resurgence. I don't know if you remember that or not, but uh, Ronnie Floyd led kind of led that team. And the, the purpose was, okay, we had the conservative resurgence. We all agree on God's word. Now, how are we going to focus on the great commission and reach the nations for the gospel? And we began to see 10, 15 years ago, a shift of how we began to do that practically from a missional standpoint in regards to church planning, in regards to um, people groups, things like that. And, and that is a good godly thing. And, and since we began to see this language of critical race theory come up in public square and somewhat weaponized in political spectrums, now that same thing is attacking really just the, the outflow of a church and a convention seeking to reach all people uh, for the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, so when I was, when I was um, considering sort of the end of my time at my last church, this was going back about 10 years ago, we, um, I, I can remember filling out some applications and the, and the questions that I faced on, on two different occasions were, were based on my having attended Southern. How did I relate to the issue of Calvinism? And what I find interesting as an outsider is I can remember uh, Travis talking with you some, and I've got some other friends who are pastoring in the SBC and are in sort of a ref- coming from a, a reform perspective. And, and they would have to explain um, to, to many of the churches they were interviewing with and talking with sort of what was the doctrinal foundation. And what, what I'd hear from them was basically a lot of the times what people were saying about Calvinism 
um, or what they'd heard about Calvinism was a misrepresentation of what, what Calvinism really was. And, and then fast forward here to these last couple of years when, when suddenly we've been hearing about critical race theory. Now, what's interesting is they're not the same groups saying the same thing. So in other words, those who are going after Calvinism are not necessarily the ones who are saying, hey, we've got to go after CRT. And in fact, in some ways, that's brought those two groups together, it would seem like. Uh, which which is kind of interesting. But but here's my question. If if it's not those issues and if there's always this um, the, the culture of, of needing something to fight. And, and I really, Jacob, I appreciated what you had to say about giving it a, a missiological spin because because it's a desire to see the Great Commission accomplished and a desire to protect that mission. And, and I guess what I would ask then is, is, do you feel like that's what's behind all of this or do you feel like there's other things at play? And, and, and so how, how, how yeah, that, that sort of pops itself up in these different issues. No, well, I, I wanted somebody else to speak. I feel like I've spoken a lot. Uh, I was asking you the question. So, okay. So kind of simplify your question again for me. Well, well essentially, you know, looking back at the history of, of these conversations and, and different issues seeming to take front and center stage as being the next threat to, to missiology um, or to the convention as a whole, is, is there something else behind these things what do you, what do you think is the root cause that 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 these are just the expressions of whether it's a culture of just needing the battle is it a a just a desire to attack anything that seems to threaten missiology what's what's behind sort of this this sort of culture where various things are brought to the forefront and and presented as the new the new threat to the SBC way of life yeah i'm i'm gonna be honest with you i'm not i'm not 100% sure because we were having some of the exact same conversations um, from a missiological standpoint when Ronnie Floyd was president for two years and when Steve Gaines was president for two years. And then when in Dallas, when J.D. Greer served as president, we were continuing the same conversations, the same trajectory, and but something shifted. And it wasn't the language. It wasn't even really the, the missiology of it, of how we were reaching people, but there was a shift. Now, in some ways it may have been because there were some people who were part of the conversation or part of the table before that now we're no longer part of the table as there was this continuing shift. I'm going to go ahead and say it. I think we're dancing around a little bit, but I I think that it boils down to this. It's the problem that we face in our churches and it's the problem in the convention. There is sometimes a desire to be the guy in power, the inner circle, the ones that are there. And I, I think the bigger threat in SBC life is to, you know, go after and execute people for a position or a chair that you're after. (laughs) Uh, we see this happening in churches, people muscling through and elbowing through, and I'm not calling out names. You know what I mean? I'm not trying to do that, but I, I think that's always the bigger issue. And one of the reasons that conservatives have a hard, hard time getting along, uh, to be quite honest, what I see happening right now, this feels like a church split feels right before it happens. And I think we're actually looking at a denominational split. I, I can see the conservative Baptist network splitting off or conservative Baptist network taking over and then others exiting out. Cause I've already been hearing from different individuals. If this person gets in as president, which bear in mind is at max two years, JD Greer being the exception because of a global pandemic. Uh, 
they're going to leave. Or if this person gets in, then they're going to leave. And, you know, it's what, what I think is a bigger threat is, you know, is, is Southern Baptist acting like the world and Southern Baptist fighting like the world fights in the political realm. And I think that's a bigger threat to our denomination than anything. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and say it. If we split, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. We have already seen the ACP reports come out. We are sliding in CP money. We're going to lose CP money, which is going to be less missionaries on the field. It's going to mean closing down institutions. It's going to mean broken friendships and relationships. And it's going to be a smear on the witness of the Southern Baptist Convention to the wider world. And, and I feel like that's where, I feel like this is where the whole thing is going. So anyway. Yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting. Uh, my wife and I were talking about this, that there, there's just been this battle these last couple of years and wondering, is there a splint or will we just splinter off into a bunch of different factions that just cannot cooperate anymore? I mean, the last couple of years we have seen churches say, well, I don't, I don't like this leader of an entity. So we are going to continue to give our cooperative program dollars, but we're going to escrow, you know, this amount of money that was supposed to go here to another different entity because that leader does this or this, or we don't agree with them. And, and I, we're almost, my fear is not so much a splint, uh, a split, but splintering itself into really irrelevance. Yeah. Well put, very well put. And I think that is the, the kind of road, but back to uh, CRT. Well, I feel like we got a little off track there. Neil, any closing questions here on CRT before we end this podcast? I think it's going well, to be actually a two-parter. So, you know, I, I guess my question real quick is this, is, is we, we've talked a lot about it. And, and for those who are going to be going to the convention coming up here next week, um, as pastors, many of them, as you guys were describing last episode, are, are pastors who are coming to this. How should they be thinking about CRT? What would you advise somebody who's new to this, but but could expect to hear more about it or look online and hear more of it being thrown about? And, and as you described, Jacob, weaponized. What do pastors need to know or how, how can they be coached in, in getting ready to, to sort of step into the world next week? I'll say, I'll say this. I'm going to speak to one, one aspect of that and I'll leave room for you too. I spoke this morning to a professor mentor of mine at uh, Southern and Southeastern, and I'm not going to say who, because there's been several that have gone back and forth through the years. And he told me this, he's still got a firm grip in academics. He said this, this stuff about CRT being in our Southern Baptist seminaries is way overblown. It's way overblown. And I don't know what you all's experience. I know what Neil's was like because I was there. Jacob, I think I know what yours was like. I would agree with that statement that it is overblown at the seminary level. Uh, I, I don't believe any of our presidents, if any president of the SBC became aware that CRT was being taught in the classroom to future ministers of the gospel, I think those professor as, as like, this is fact and this is the way things are. And this is the one, this is how you uh, minister and deal with, race issues, you know, and, and, and turning away from the gospel, turning away from the Bible and just leaning fully on that. I think they would be removed immediately. Like, I don't think there would be any president that would hold on to that, uh, that kind of a staff person. Um, at the denominational level, I'm not sure. I don't have as many contacts. I'm not, I'm not in that as much. Uh, I think that in state conventions, we see, um, 
we see varying theological spectrums, you know, and, and Kentucky where I served was a little different than Indiana, Tennessee is a little different than Virginia and so on it goes. Uh, North Carolina is different still than Virginia or Tennessee. And so, you know, it, it, it just kind of depends. I, I think that, you know, in a lot of the older line states, you know, um, you may have some guys that lean a little bit more moderate than maybe some others and might give into that more. But personally, in our state convention, I am not aware of anyone being a proponent of this. And are you, Matt, are you, uh, aware of that at all am i am i speaking out of place on that no i i remember my time at southern not too long ago um i did not come across any kind of critical theory that was being taught or or um pushed in any kind of way um i have talked to you know i i serve on the well just rotated off as the board directors for the uh, baptist collegiate ministry so i'm talking with a lot of college students, many of them called to ministry and going to seminary. And I have not heard some of them going to Southeastern, some of them going to Southern, and they have not encountered that in their classroom experience. And so I, I keep hearing this from people who are in seminary or on the ground, or even people who are uh, trustees and things like that are on boards and that they are on the ground there and are not hearing this experience of, of critical race theory being taught. Um, so, so I'll preface that and agree with you there. I, I think when it comes to the messenger and they're coming to the convention, uh, you know, there's going to be resolutions on critical race theory. I believe there's going to be a couple of resolutions to r- rescind resolution chapter nine or resolution nine. And I don't think that is a bad thing. Um, I, I would just encourage them, like I would encourage them with everything, uh, read every resolution, uh, read the book of reports, um, because Resolution 9 spoke to uh, the sufficiency and the authority of Scripture. It spoke to our statement of faith, the Baptist Faith and Message 2000. It spoke to those things, and it addressed critical race theory, saying that all, basically, all those things have the authority above and beyond anything that critical race theory can, could ever give us. And so the, the question then is, is make sure as you're, as we're coming into that conversation is looking at scripture and it's, it's scripture sufficient scripture alone. Um, but I, I don't see it being taught. I, I see it as a moniker to kind of tack on to people Um saying that it is being taught here, it is taught there, or it's happening in this church or that church. I'm just, quite frankly, I I have asked people over the last year or so and have reconnected with people during the pandemic uh, that I've not talked to in a while. And I I personally have just not seen it. Now, I'm not going to say that it's not there and I'm not going to say we shouldn't address it. I believe it's something that needs to be addressed and spoken to. I just don't see it as the level of conservative resurgence of the eighties and nineties. Yeah. When you had issues, I just do not see it to that level. I have not encountered it there. Now I've got brothers in other conventions that say it's worse there. And that may be true. It may be true. Yeah. State conventions that it's worse than it is here in Tennessee. But uh, 
Also, I would I would say this. Uh, we haven't really talked about this much. We have some of the ACP report and gathering data there. Uh, we have seen that we have a number of black churches in the convention. And um, I, I would tell those messengers that, you know, particularly messengers that are, you know, white like us, you know, that uh, I do think that uh, if if we're quick to dismiss any of the issues that our black brothers and sisters in Christ are facing, and if that is something that's helpful for us to understand that, that that might be okay. But here, here's the reality of it. The gospel addresses any kind of ethnical divide, right? Uh, there's no longer Jew nor Greek. There's no longer black or white, right? There, there's only those who are in Christ and those who are not. And, uh, but I think we need to be, I don't know what the correct word is, sensitive to, you know, I always am careful when I talk about the black church in the SBC, those, uh, because I kind of feel like it's sort of like being my in-laws. I said this one time, we had a special prayer service. Uh, you know, when you're, when you're in, when you're married into a family, you, you want to say, well, here's an issue we'll have, or you have this issue, but, but then you may not have some information that they have from 30 years ago. And, uh, plus what, what, family wants an in-law to come in and tell them everything that's wrong, right? So you're kind of an outsider looking in. And so, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say, I, I, what I hear from a lot of, you know, black authors and pastors that I respect is at least there's an attempt to address some of the issues that have been faced in the black community and in the black church. And so, you know, there, there's a resonating in that, but I still think that you're solid, uh, Bible believing black preachers and theologians, all the ones I have read still reject at a base level that it provides a solution, but that it is helpful as a descriptor. And at least there's an addressing there. And so being aware of that, but, but I think as in all things, uh, we must reject any, any worldview that is in direct contradiction and does not provide Christ and salvation through the righteousness of Christ as the ultimate solution. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Any worldview that is the antithesis of Christ needs to be rejected. And uh, I, I think what you know, part of what we're seeing is you're talking about um, you know African American brothers or Asian American brothers and sisters and and so forth, uh, just diversity within our convention. From what I understand, and trying to listen and to read and understand their perspective on life and where things have gone is many of them have left the, con not many, but some have left the, con the convention of the last year or two, not because critical race theory was where they were hanging their hat, but because of the conversation around it. Because the conversation around it was that a complete rejection and repudiation of this to the point of almost saying that there was, there is no racism or there is no race or there is no this, or is no that, when we would recognize that there is, we, we see sinfulness and we see brokenness all around us. And, and that exemplifies itself in the issue of race. And, and so uh, I need to, to listen to my brothers and sisters in Christ and understand where they're coming from. You know, I, one of the things I think about our convention, we are um, big enough that sometimes we have more issues than other smaller conventions or other denominations. Uh, but I'm always reminded of, uh, you know, Proverbs 14, 14, which talks about where there's no oxen, the manger is clean, but the abundant crops come from the strength of the oxen. You see, if, if where there's ministry, there's a lot of mess. 
And so if that means we are reaching more people um, from different diversity, different uh, language groups, different ethnicities, different, different backgrounds in general, th there is going to be mess because people aren't always just like Jacob. And that means I've got thing. to understand my, well, yeah, exactly. There's a lot, lot like me, not like me. It means I've got to understand where people are coming from, but I also recognize how the gospel is what brings true reconciliation. And I think it's easy to not do the work of reconciliation than it is to just, in some ways, I don't know, just plow along um, with just me, myself, and I. Yeah, and bear in mind, too, to the, to the one who's coming, the messenger who's coming, this is a convention, but it's the family of God, we hope, right? So you're going to watch a family fight. <laughs> and so we hope everyone will fight fair, but it's going to be, it's building itself up and poising itself to be a family fight. And so we've had them before. We'll have them again. If it's not this issue, there will be others in the future. And so uh, I'm more concerned even with how we fight and how we do this versus, because I, I think 90% or more, 95% of of the SBC is on the same page, but it's just the rhetoric around it, the way we discuss it with one another, and how it's used. So, well, well, I'm I'm, I'm hearing I'm hearing some good things in terms of remembering to go to the Word and, and allow that to be the final authority for all that we teach, all that we believe, and all that we understand about the world that God has created and in which we live and are called to be stewards. Um, I, I'm also hearing. Some good words uh, that, that remind me of James 1.19. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to become anger, angry, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And and, and I think that's key because I, I think when we accept some of these labels and and use these labels to to categorize the people we're having conversations with, or Jacob, as you would say, to weaponize them, that's when we get ourselves into trouble. And and, and yet when we have the conversation and listen to our brothers and our sisters and hear what they mean. And in particular, as a, as a, a few white guys talk and listen to our African-American brothers and sisters and hear their experiences, that, that allows us to, to, to be better listeners um, and not allow a label um, to, to sort of get in the way of us coming to an understanding. And as you mentioned, to potentially threaten the unity that, that has been built. And through that unity, so much good has been done for, for the great commission and, and for the building up of the people of God. So I think some great words that you guys have spoken and, and, and it's a challenging issue to be sure. Yeah. And, and one other thing I want to say too, about this, it's a conversation. It's not a one way thing. And uh, as some has tried to, to paint that I, in some ways, I don't like using CRT as a, um, it's kind of like whenever I was at ETSU and I wanted to study theology, and the closest thing they had was the religion department at ETSU. Well, their language and the way they approach religion is altogether problematic for somebody who loves and believes the Word of God. In a similar fashion, when we use the language and borrow from any secular worldview, you know, as you try to get a bunch of atheists to understand religion, uh, you know, they use words that we wouldn't normally use, and they frame things the way we would not normally frame it. And so uh, we have to hold fast to a biblical worldview, to the gospel as the great unifier. All right, we got to land this plane because we're we're we've gone pretty good ways here. Uh, any closing thoughts, brothers? Is that it? All right, thank you all. Look forward to talking. What's that? I think we covered everything. Hopefully.
and a little and a little excess. So yeah. <laughs> look forward to the look forward to the broadcasting from the convention here next week. And I hope everyone has a wonderful day. You have been listening to the Appalachian Baptist Network. Thanks for joining us. If you have a question or comment for our host, please send an email to Network at gmail.com or send us a voice message on our Anchor website page at anchor.fm slash Appalachian dash Baptist dash network. Join us again next Monday.